Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. Most people see Hutchinson as a really good player. However, I think they worry about the upside, whereas Walker has a bigger upside, and this is about upside. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, this is the week. It is here, yep. just three days away from the NFL draft. I know you're excited. Oh, I am. And everybody's great, Femi. Everybody's going to be a superstar. <laughs> everybody's going to come in the league and dominate. I can't believe they didn't pick that guy. Oh, my God. They never thought he was going to be there. How many cliches are we going to hear for the next <laughs> next, uh, next four or five days? We're going to hear a bunch of lies. We couldn't believe the player was there. That's my all-time favorite. What yep. do you mean you couldn't believe he was there? Weren't you working on this? Like, seriously. Like, you know, we were shocked he was there. I mean, that's such a cliche, but we'll hear them all. I'm excited. Yeah, everybody's going to get a top 10 player on their draft board in the first of round. Course. It's going to be funny how that all works out as we will try to decipher all the news and nuggets and the potential lies that we get over the course of these next four days. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find your podcast. Tweet at us. We want to hear from you guys during this draft week. At M Lombardi NFL is where you can find Michael. At Femi Abebefe is where you can find me. Our producer, Stephen Bond, with us as always on the ones and twos here behind the scenes. But, Michael, before we get into all the news and nuggets from the draft, let's get into something interesting we saw over this weekend. Chris Sims, analyst for NBC, played in the league, had an interesting note. And he said that the Miami Dolphins tried to trade for Tom Brady while he was still retired, offering up a second-round pick for Tom Brady and also offering a first-round pick to the New Orleans Saints for Sean Payton. What do you make of this news that Brady and Payton could have reunited in South Beach? Well, I mean, look, I think it would have been, you know, probably negligence on Miami's part to at least not explore that they should get Sean Payton. I don't know if that's true or not. Obviously, Christopher thinks it is. And it would make sense because, look, Payton's a really good coach. You need to fix your offense with your quarterback. And why not? Why not make an offer to see if you can get them? So I think within the the sense of doing your due diligence, that one makes sense. The other one, I think there's a lot of underlying issues here that that go into play. And it starts with Bruce Beal, the man who's been approved to succeed Stephen Ross as the mm. next owner of the Miami Dolphins. He and Tom Brady are really close friends. They are really close friends. I don't know if he lives at Indian Creek, but Brady bought this home at Indian Creek, which is a very exclusive little island off of Miami. Uh, beach. It's uh, they call it Billionaires Row. I don't know. It's a golf course, <laughs> but I mean it's really good. It's re- beautiful. And uh, he bought a seventeen million dollar home that they tore down. They're going to build. So there's a link to Miami to Brady, and there's a link to Beal with Brady. Now, how those two things played out, I I don't think it. I first of all, Miami would have to get Tampa to agree to trade him. Do you think Tampa was going to agree to trade him? I don't no. think so. I think that would probably be the the wrench in that. And so, uh, you know, I I think Miami is going to be a place. I'll predict this on April the 25th, 2022. Tom Brady will end up being in some way or form running the Miami Dolphins, whether it's player personnel, whether it's the president. I think he will be involved. Once Beal takes over, I think Brady will be involved in some capacity. What I don't know. And because he loves competing. 
just like Pat Riley loves competing, just like all guys that are former players that love the, the chance to compete. Plus, mm -hmm. Brady wants to get in that part of the business. But I, I can't see this happening because Tampa would have to say, okay, we're going to trade him. Like, to, to make a trade in the NFL, A, you've got to know you can pull the pin on it. Like, if I called you up and said, Fem, look, uh, uh, would you trade me Tom Brady? You would probably say no. Yeah. So, like, the conversation never gets to, well, we'll, we'll offer you a two. That doesn't mean you were going to do a deal for a two. That just means maybe they were trying to offer. That doesn't also mean that there was actually a trade conversation. There was no banter back and forth. So just because a team's willing to prepare to offer something doesn't mean there's a trade conversation. Yeah. No. That, do you think that Brady, like, let's say if – he didn't come out of retirement to come back. I mean, it was a 40-day retirement with the Buccaneers. Do you think that maybe this year we could have seen him join a team in the front office there? Because you mentioned that he's interested. That competitive fire will always be there for Tom Brady, kind of like the John Elway with Denver. It's, it's fascinating. Do you think that we could have seen it maybe this offseason where Brady could have joined a front office? I don't know this one, but I think eventually. I think with Beal, once he takes over, whatever Stephen Ross decides to do, you know, there's that's already been approved. In 2016, the NFL owners approved that Bruce Beal will become the next owner of the Miami Dolphins once Stephen Ross either elects to sell it to him, if he passes away based on his estate, all those things. It's already etched in stone. So eventually there's going to be a relationship between Brady's best friend and, and the guy who owns the Miami Dolphins, which really goes back to when he was a free agent. Like, I think that's the team, and I said it on the pod before, that I think that was the team that Brady didn't understand why they weren't interested in him. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Like, why wouldn't you want me to be there? You know, everybody thought it was Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I always thought it was Miami. Yeah, no, that, that's that's very fascinating. I'm looking at Bruce Beal right now as a New York businessman. I don't know, is he a Michigan man as well? Because Stephen Ross is a Michigan I, man. They've always they're made that all connection. I, I think they might be. I don't know. Yeah. But they're close. I know they're close. And, and I know Tom well enough to know that Tom likes the whole building of the team and the and the intricacies that go into running an organization. And, and certainly I think, you know, he's got a lot of things he's doing on the side with his TB 12, mm -hmm. but eventually I think he would like to do that. And why wouldn't you, if you've got one of the greatest players of all time, wouldn't you want him in your front? You got Dan Marino, you got Brady. Come on. Yeah. Maybe we can get a quarterback down there in South beach, something that they've been looking well, for. They have one. You're not Dan allowed Marino. to say a bad word about him. You're not allowed to say a bad word. It's Tua. He's going to be great. I, I, yeah. I, I didn't say anything about Tua. <laughs> Tua Tagovailoa. It's going to be one of the more polarizing guys. And if he can pop this year, the Miami Dolphins could have a successful season. Real quick Brady news as well. The Bucks restructuring Tom Brady's contract. Is that just more so housekeeping or anything else at play there? Oh, that, you know, that was, that was going to get, that was definitely going to happen because he had so much money tied up in paragraph five that all mm -hmm. they did was guarantee the paragraph five because he's going to be on the team and it lowered their cap number to give him some room. I, I think there's, that was no chance. If he would have gone on the retirement list and stayed there, what they would have done is just lowered his paragraph five to the minimum it could be. And then basically waited until July to put them on there so they could prorate the money out and uh, and not take the effective cap hip. So this actually works out better. It's going to affect their cap next year and the year after. But, hell, Brady might play to he's 90. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he tasted retirement for 40 days and was like, nope, yeah. I, I want to play some more. So the Buccaneers, once again, with Tom Brady behind center for them for a third year. Another guy, quarterback, we've talked about quite a bit this offseason, one Baker Mayfield, the former number yeah. one overall pick in the 2018 draft. I don't know if you saw this news here earlier this morning, Michael, from Ian Rappaport over at the NFL Network. He said the Panthers are not expected to trade for Browns QB Baker Mayfield prior to the first round of the NFL draft if they do at all. 
sources say right. Thursday they want to have it play out. Carolina holds the number six pick, which you've written about in our recent draft betting guide, the number six pick being kind of a pivot point in this draft here. But this is kind of what we all thought all along, that it's likely going to be after the first round to where the Panthers might entertain Baker Mayfield. Well, I mean, I think, look, look, here's the Panthers situation. They, they realize, and, and as most NFL teams do, there's no quarterback that is worthy or you can justify picking at the sixth pick overall in the draft. So your alternatives are Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield if you don't want to, if you don't want to just go with Sam Darnold. And so, like, at this point, why would you rush to do it? I mean, Baker Mayfield's guaranteed contract. You know, you got to get Cleveland to eat some of it, and you're certainly not trading away a first-round pick, so why would you do anything mm -hmm. before the draft? I mean, who's your competition to get Baker? You have no competition. Okay. You know, wait till see what Seattle does. Seattle, there's two quarterbacks available. You're, and Seattle, Atlanta signed Mariota, so they don't want one. I mean, you're basically competing against Seattle for one of them. You're gonna, if you want one, you could get one. You know, Garoppolo's shoulder's still injured. It's one of the reasons why, as we said last week, Debo Samuel's getting all this conversation about his redo because they've got to get the money from Garoppolo. So the best thing that I think the Panthers can do is just wait. They have, they have more of the cards in this hand than anybody. I mean, they are sitting there. They don't need to lick their cookie like they did in rounders, you know, to, to signal what they're going to do. <laughs> That's a nice little rounders drop there. I like. You love rounders. I love rounders. I can watch rounders almost damn near every day. I mean, I'm I, right there with John you. John Malkovic is just so good in that. I mean, I, I could Matt Damon imitates him on on YouTube. So he's so good at imitating them, and when they met him, I mean, it's just such a great movie. Anyway, back back to the, the back. Yeah. No, but I think it's interesting with Baker Mayfield though, because you mentioned that number six pick, Carolina. They're either going to want to take a position player or trade down, which is, I think, what they really want to do. But as you wrote about, you were like, I mean, trading down also requires a partner. It's easier said than done. If they yeah. can't trade down, like, they're going to be in a pretty tough spot, barring how the kind of board shakes up. Well, I, I think they're in a – so I think the draft has two what I call kind of interesting places. First of all, you know, the first pick in the draft, we still don't know what that is. The mm -hmm. second pick, we kind of will know based on the first pick. The third pick, Houston's a wild card. Knowing the way Nick Cesario likes to operate, he would prefer to trade down. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. He knows that this draft isn't, isn't an elite draft and that quantity might be better than – the Quantity might be better than just one player. Mm -hmm. The sum of the parts would be better. However, you got to get a trade partner. Nobody wants the third pick in the draft. Nobody wants it. So you're gonna. So you just can't sit there and say there's nobody worth. You got to make a pick. You just got to make yep. a pick. So you make the pick. But so I think that's an interesting pick there. To me, Carolina is interesting in the sense that if there's an offense or a defensive lineman that's worthy to take at six, I think Carolina should do that. They should in, improve on an area of strength, which they're strong in the defensive front. Right. To me, I come from the school of improve build on strength right al davis taught me this you know if you have two great pitchers in baseball don't trade a great pitcher for a hitter because now all of a sudden you've weakened your team if you have mm -hmm. two great pitchers in baseball get another pitcher now have three so if carolina has a chance to get a, de a rush defensive end that could dominate the game or they could slip them inside and play them in nickel go get them if they can get a left tackle go get that guy too and I think the pick that's going to determine this will be will be at five because the Giants picking at five, now they have to be the pool player. So the pool player is simply this, Femi. You've got to be able – they know what they pick at five they can guarantee themselves. What they must be able to do is get a player that they want at seven, for example. Yeah. If they think Gardner's going to be a trade option for Carolina at six, Carolina won't pick them, right? 
then and they want Gardner. They may have to pick Gardner at five, but then they could lose the tackle that they want. You follow me? Yep. So they've got to play this very carefully to see how it's going to go, and it's going to rely on intel from other teams. Yeah, no, that's that's all a part of the lying season. And we're going to break down this top 10, especially here on the other side, because it starts with Jacksonville, where we might be getting a little bit more clarity, but it still seems that things are still up in the air in Duval County. But first, let's take a quick break. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, let's take a look at the top of the draft with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we'll go down, we'll play out this entire top 10 and see what the potential scenarios could be for each of these teams here. Jacksonville right now, they have the unfortunate situation of having the number one pick in a draft where nobody really wants to have the number one pick. There's not that yeah. top-tier prospect. But over the weekend and recently, as of Monday morning, we've seen a shift in the betting market towards Trayvon Walker now becoming the new favorite at our show sponsor, DraftKings. Right now, Walker minus 150 to be the first overall pick. Hutchinson, the underdog for the first time in a while. Is that kind of in line with what you've been hearing when you talk to folks? Is it now Walker that's emerged as the clear favorite to be the number one overall pick? I mean, everybody will deny this after the draft, right? But but for the what I keep hearing is there is some way a sense of a division within the ranks. Not a hostile division, just a, a difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Tony Khan, the son, and maybe Shaq Khan, the owner, they, they see Hutchinson as a safe pick. And Trent Balky, who's done this for a long time, sees sees uh the other kid, Walker, uh, uh, Walker mm-hmm. as as the the high, as the as the guy that can reach the highest ceiling, and so for that, you know, I, th- I think what happens here is is it goes back and forth, and they continue to go. Now, could they take an offensive lineman? Is that in the mix? Perhaps, but it seems to me like everybody has an interest in those two outside rushers, and they've got to make sure they hit a home run, and they've got to make sure they don't make a mistake. And Balky's. The mindset of Balky, part of the thing you have to do when you're in the league is study the people you're that draft against you, right? You've mm-hmm. got to study those players to kind of understand what, the, what, what, not the players, understand the executive and how the front office works. Balky is be- very much about taking risk. He took a lot of guys in San Francisco with injuries, believing that they would come back and play at a higher level once they were healed. It didn't work out for him as well, but I do think that that, that would lend me to believe there's some interest in, in potentially – in potentially trying to get Walker. 
However, however, you know, there's still uh, the sense within the building that, you know, maybe it's such a sense. Everything I've been hearing for the last month, it's Walker. But okay. I, I, I take that with a grain of salt. And I think that Doug Peterson is just going to acquiesce to Balky to let him make the pick and see what's going on. And so, uh, you know, I think most people see most people see Hutchinson as a really good player. However, I think they worry about the upside, whereas Walker yeah. has a bigger upside. And this is about upside. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. And the the comparison I think I've heard and the analogy that's been used is that a lot of people see Walker as the potential home run and Hutchinson's like hitting a double type of thing where hitting yeah. a double, it's good, but it's not the potential of the home run. Now you could strike out going for the fences as well with a guy like a Trayvon Walker. Well, I think one thing when you talk about scouting the evaluators and scouting the personnel people that make these decisions, a lot of people have made the decision or made kind of the the, the comparison that Balky likes arm length. He likes those guys like Buckner, the Armstead, Alden Smith yeah. in San Francisco, and that's kind of what Trayvon Walker has been compared to there with that sort of arm length, 36-inch arms in the 95th percentile, while Hutchinson is not quite alligator arms, but he doesn't have the arm length of a Walker or the guys in the past that Balky has picked. Well, I think there's certainly – everybody wants arm length. I mean, when you run a one-gap scheme, and arm length is really important. Why is that? Because when the defense gets stretched and the gaps get wider horizontally, you want somebody who has long arms who can grab and potentially slow down a back. It's a little bit, to me, I always equate it to Syracuse's 2-3 zone. When Syracuse is long and athletic on the, at the top of their zone, they look like they play in a 3-3 zone. <laughs> you know, I can remember watching Syracuse against Texas. I went to the Final Four with Jim Harbaugh when Tom Crean's Marquette team was playing in it, and I was watching Syracuse live, you know, and, and you don't get a chance to see it as much. But they looked like they had two inspector gadgets. This is when they had Carmelo <laughs> Anthony. You know, and they were covering more room. Their arm length makes a difference, particularly in a one-gap scheme. And so I don't think what Belky likes, I think everybody likes that. Everybody wants that. And I think that the, the, really the reality of it is, is Walker's 275 pounds. He moves really well. Does he have the numbers to support it? Not really. Not really. But he's got the athleticism. You know, 29 and a half sacks in 29 games isn't going to light your fire. But his athleticism does. And you've got to allow for coaching to come in there. You know, people say Hutchinson's safe. Hutchinson's safe, but then you put the Georgia tape on and you wonder how safe. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. So let's, for to play along purposes, let's pencil in, not in pen, although I wrote it in pen, let's pencil in Trayvon Walker to the Jaguars at number one there. We say Balky wins out. He convinces the Khan family that Walker is the guy. Detroit at number two. The Michigan guy has now fallen into their laps, right. but they might like Thibodeau, but we now heard that the coach might not be the biggest fan of Thibodeau. Do you see Hutchinson at two? Is that the easy turn the card in and then let's go? Well, I think you got Brad Holmes running the draft. Brad Holmes has been a college scouting director. I mean, you know, I think Campbell's going to have some influence. I mean, one thing about when you hire a guy who's always been a college scout, does he have the real understanding and the knowledge of what's playing in the league and how the league is playing? I, I think that Campbell's personality and what he wants, knowing he has five more years on a contract – I think it's going to be rather convincing for Brad Holmes. And, you know, unless Brad Holmes can show video evidence that, that, that Hutchinson isn't the right guy, I, I think this is a no-brainer. They get a local mm -hmm. kid who plays there, plays on the carpet. The other thing I think you get an advantage if you're, if you're Detroit, you play in a dome. 
And I think that'll favor Hutchinson. And those eight games with the snap count in his favor will give him that slight edge, I think, that certainly would help him. Plus, he fits the, kind of the persona of what the organization wants to be. He's going to be a hard-nosed player. Could they take a corner? I think, to me, if you took a corner at the second pick in the draft, you got to make damn sure. You, you know, Rob Woodson went nine. I mean, some of these guys mm-hmm. that are just great. Deion Sanders went five. Like, you better make sure they're, they're, in, they're in Hall of Fame caliber before you turn. I mean, this is when they pick Okuda, Okuda, whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, I Jeff mean, Okuda, like, yeah. Okuda. I mean, he wasn't in that category. Like, if you're going to pick a corner in the top five, got to put all the corners that have been picked in the top five and say, this guy has got to be like this. You couldn't say that about Okuda. No way. Yeah, no, I mean, people love Gardner. They love Stingley. But a corner at two does seem rather high for a team that just picked Okuda at three overall. Let's go to three overall. Houston Texans, we talked about Nick Casario. He's a New England guy. You mentioned he probably would favor trading down. Do you think that something that's possible for uh, for the Nick Casario and the Houston Texans? Or what do you think is possibly their biggest need here at number three if they end up having to make that selection? The only thing I think is possible is Nick will take all the time in the world on the clock. I don't think we'll get an early card turned in. I think if if Walker goes one, I think Detroit will turn their card in rather quickly. And then I think the, 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 the Texans will take some time. I mean, look, the Texans are a bad team, so you can go in any direction. Do, you know, and now let's break, break it down. You know, you know Lovey Smith's your head coach. You're not going to fire him after a year, so you're kind of married to his system, right? His system is really not corner-dependent. They're going to play mm-hmm. cover two. They're going to they're going to play what they play a zone kind of team. He relies on the front. It's all about the front. So there's got to be a front seven player that he thinks is worthy of rushing. Could it be the corner? I don't see it. I think again. I think it's a waste to pick. Could it be the offensive tackle? No doubt. Could it be uh, the North Carolina State kid? Perhaps. Could it be Neal? Perhaps. Could it be Cross? Maybe. I think that's the pick that that can go offensive or defensive line. But to me. The philosophy of Nick has to be, we've got to repair these two lines. Watson got the crap beat out of them. Mills got the crap beat out of them. And their defensive front wasn't good enough last year. I think that's where they got to go. OD, offensive or defensive line. And the value is O-line at this point. Yep. Yeah, the value is O-line because you'd have the two edge rushers, Walker and Hutchinson, off the board. So maybe in a Kwanu or Neal for the Texans at three, or maybe even Charles Cross, who you mentioned the league likes a little bit more than some of the draft Knicks or the draft media members. Who do we want to put in here? Do you want to put in maybe a Kwanu? I would probably put a Kwanu in because he can play guard. One thing about a Kwanu, he can go in and play guard right away. He may be a guard anyway. He could play right tackle, right guard, depending on what they do. Plus, they free themselves away from Tunsil. You know, I mean, if they wanted it to me, I think the best, the, the guy with the most upside, the walker of the offensive line is Cross. Okay. So he's that guy that could kind of be the elite potential prospect. He could be an elite player. I mean, it, it's assuming, you know, mentally he can handle it, the volume he can handle it. But in terms of just if you were to find a legitimate left tackle with athleticism, balance, arm length, the ability to hit, the ability to strike and stay within balance, Cross is the best one of the three. We'll see, you know, what. but you've got one thing about offensive linemen is you, the last thing you want to do is take like an underachieving offensive lineman. You want somebody who's kind of willing to bite the nails. Yeah. Picks four and five, New York, New York. So we're going to start yeah. spreading the news here, Michael. The Jets at number four. Thibodeau is a the guy they've been linked to. He's available on the board. Is that the direction or they go elsewhere? Well, I think they're going to go, look, Salai loves defensive linemen. And his, he went to a Super Bowl because of a defensive line, not because of his scheme. He is not a scheme defensive coordinator who became a head coach. He is about the talent of the front seven. 
So it's got to be the front seven. And, and, and people have giving them a corner. I get that, you know. But one thing about the Pete Carroll scheme that you have to understand is they typically don't want to invest in corners because they play 80% zone. Most people think even during the days when they had the Richard Sherman, they got Richard Sherman in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. It, to play this defense effectively, you've got to dominate up front. You've got to dominate up front. You've got to be willing to have five, six, seven, eight defensive linemen. I think this is defensive line here. Whether it's Thibodeau, whether it's James, I, I don't, I don't sense that you know that it could be anything other than that. I think it's got to be. Now you say, well, could it be Kyle Hamilton? Because you know he could be the guy that. Well, they already had a guy like that, Jamal. Jamal, they traded him, <laughs> right? So I don't, I don't see it being that. I, I think it'll be. I think it has to be a defensive rusher to help his defensive front. I'm going to pencil in Thibodeau there for the Jets at number four. The Giants at five. Feels like both sides of the trenches, too, could be in play here. I think that's the case. I think the Giants have to take the best tackle available. You know, they got to fix their offensive line. Like, I I see some people having them taking Kyle Hamilton. Like, I don't see how you can say Kyle Hamilton's the guy. I talked to a team yesterday that's worried that Hamilton's going to make it to them down, down in the lower, you know, in the teens. You know, are they going to make it to 20, 20? You know, where's he going? You know, mm-hmm. and so what do you do with that? You know, he's big, he's fast, but can he cover man-to-man? Not really. Is he going to attack? I mean, we see Jamal Adams. Th- this this doesn't work. Once teams designate the safety as a rusher and they give him to the offensive line saying, okay, we're going to count Adams as, as a down guy, every every protection, all of a sudden his effectiveness as a blitzer has gone away, yeah. and he can't play in the middle of part of the field. That's got it. To me, the Giants have to be. Now, where the Giants have to be careful is if they want to go corner – they know that the, the Panthers could move down and they could trade away that corner pick. And then where would the Panthers go to get the guy they want? I don't think if the Panthers traded down, it wouldn't be, be, it wouldn't be because they want to go pick a quarterback. It would be because they would pick a different offensive lineman and get some more value. So I think that's the case. I think it's a defensive lineman here. So you think defensive lineman for the New York Giants? I think it's either O-line or D-line. I would, to me, if I'm the Giants, I would take cross here. Okay, let's let's put in Cross then, because I know Cross is a guy that a lot of people have linked the Giants to him, saying that they've worked him out at right tackle there. So it's not even to replace Andrew Thomas at left tackle. They could kind of get those bookend guys to help protect Daniel Jones. So let's put in Cross at five for the Giants. So now we have Cross and Aquanu gone at picks three and five. Panthers' offensive line has been a position that they've looked at. A guy like Evan Neal sitting right there at six. Yeah, I, I think whether it's Evan Neal, whether it's Cross, whether it's Okanu, I think they're going to pick one of those guys, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and if not, you know, what, what is the best rusher left? Is it Thibodeau? Do they love Thibodeau? Uh, maybe they do. You know, they get him. Like, I would never rule that out. Like, I think if wow. Matt Rule is the smart, is doing what he does, is he keep rebuilding the areas that you need to rebuild. You can't force it, right? You know, they've got, they drafted J.C. Horn at corner. They re-signed J- J- Jackson at the other corner. So their corner situation is fairly good. They got C.J. Henderson, who they traded for. So they have three corners if they stay healthy. They feel like they're pretty good. I, I think it makes sense for them to build on strength. If it, to me, look, if it were me, it's going to be a defense alignment. I wouldn't be scared of One of the players, I think, in this draft that gets misunderstood quite a bit is Jordan Davis. Yeah. I think he gets really misunderstood because everybody thinks he's an underachiever. Now, I know this. He would be on Al Davis's team. There would be no doubt about that. <laughs> you know, he's got Chester McLaughlin, who was a, at one time one of the most dominating players I've ever seen. But what to me, what I think about Jordan Davis is I see a guy that could be jumpy gethers. 
Okay, Jumpy Gathers was a defensive tackle out of Wichita State who had this freak. I don't know if you remember him, Femi. He had this freak high. He called it a forklift move. He would take the guards and get underneath their arms and basically lift them off the ground, whether they weighed 300, Jeez. 320, 370. It didn't matter. He just lift them off the ground, throw them away, and rush. To me, the most the guy that can affect the quarterback the most in this draft isn't Hutchinson, it isn't Walker, because those guys run past the quarterback more times than not. It's the guy that gets in front of the quarterback, and at 6'6", 300 and whatever he is, 335 pounds with his athleticism, to me, I don't know why he's not a top 10 pick. I don't know. Like he yeah. can impact the game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you say, well, he doesn't play hard all the time. Well, we got to get him to play hard. Like, you know, Bill Walsh would say, look, at some point, you know, it's our job to get him there. He likes football. He played on a great team. And the one thing I would do with this guy is I would say, look, all you're going to do is push this guard back. You would be, he's playing every down for me. He's playing every mm -hmm. down for me. He, to me, I think he can affect the pass game more than any player in this draft. He was my favorite player in college football this season on that Georgia defense. One of the reasons why they had an all-time caliber defense and won the national championship. We've gone through six picks, Michael. No cornerbacks off the board. We'll see if we can find a home for one in the Meadowlands at seven here. But first, let's take a quick break. All right, Michael, we've gone through the first six picks. And like we mentioned, no cornerbacks off the board. The Giants have been linked to corner Wink Martindale, now the defensive coordinator there. His defenses tend to be driven by those big cornerbacks is this a spot here we could see a Sauce Gardner go to the Meadowlands or maybe they go somewhere else? Oh, I, I think you could. I mean, look, they want to get rid of Bradbury. They need to clear up some cap room, so it gives them an opportunity to do that. I think if they go offense in the first pick, you got to believe they'll go defense with the second. Or, you know, maybe they just feel like if there's an offensive lineman, they feel like, why not, you know, fix one area of your team? The one thing I think if you're Joe Shine, you're not going to fix everything in one year. Like, you're mm -hmm. just not going to do it. Like, you're so bad – that you've taken over this team. The reason you have this job is because over the last five years, you've not won more than six games. So the reason you're here is because your team stinks. And so what, if you took two offensive linemen, if you took two defensive linemen, if you took two defensive players or one in each, you would strengthen your team. You've you got to get two starters. And, and I'm not saying you're going to get elite starters. Gardner could be a, an elite corner. And knowing the way Wink wants to play man-to-man, -man, it certainly gives you length and athleticism out on the outside. It would make perfect sense to me. Maybe receiver? I know there's been rumblings that they could be trading Kadarius Toney, who they took in the first round last year. Maybe receiver at seven to double up on offense if they go tackle at five. I mean, unless they can get the, the, the defensive line to count the five Mississippi, how are they going to get the ball to them? Like, seriously. like, And then they can't rush the passer, you know? Yeah. Like, unless they can get the offense to agree, they only have to count the three Mississippi. Like, seriously. Are they At some point, you got to – all these teams want to draft receiver. All these mocks want to go receiver. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to win in the trenches. I know last year that Cincinnati was horrible in the trenches. I get that. But they had Joe Burrow. you got Daniel Jones. You better protect him. Yeah, and as fast as I was reading Peter King's mock draft this morning, he had six wide receivers in the first 18 picks. Like, that is – I know there's going to be a lot that go early, but six in first 18, that's saying something here, there. Here, here's what I would say to you about that. And I'm not saying Peter's wrong. Here's what I would say to you is there's going to be somebody picked in the second or third round that is going to be better than the first rounders. Yeah. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. And we've seen it. Debo Samuel, you know uh, – D yep. DK Metcalf. Yep. We've AJ seen these Brown. guys. McLaurin, McLaurin, AJ Brown, better than Keneal Harry picked in the first round, better than other guys picked in the first round. You know, and so like all these teams that are getting receivers, you know, there's the value is that you can move it. They're replaceable. 
you know, what I think we make a real big mistake with in the NFL is in terms of evaluating receivers is they are very few number one receivers. They're very few number one guys. The guy you can line up on the outside and say, okay, here you go. You, you can win out there. You're going to win against everybody you play against. It's no problem. Like Traylon mm-hmm. Burks from Arkansas. Like he's more of an inside big receiver. You know, can he win on the outside? I know he runs fast in a 40, but can he win on the outside? You got to ask yourself, if you're drafting one in the first round, don't you want him to be a number one guy? A guy that can yeah. tilt the field in your favor? And to me, I think a lot of these guys are just, they're, they're twos. They're not ones. And there's more of them out there than every position. So to waste it, unless you there's nobody else, unless you see them as a one. But I think what we'll see here, more than anything, what we'll see is some some player, you mark my words, some player picked in the second or third round, maybe even the fifth round, that'll be as good as somebody picked in the first. No, I, I agree with you on that philosophy about wide receivers, especially with the new rules in today's game. Like A lot of these guys can be productive just because you can't touch them on the outside. So I, it's a position that I don't think I would take in the top 10 unless I saw the next Julio Jones or the next Devontae Adams, which maybe some of these teams see them in this crop of receivers. But for, for game's sake, let's go Sauce Gardner at seven to the New York Giants. We'll see Wink Martindale gets his cornerback to build around on that defense. The Atlanta Falcons at eight. I feel like this is a team that can go just rank all the players, take the best one on the board because they have holes everywhere. Yeah, and, and they have the biggest holes in the defensive front. I mean, Dean Peace is sitting there playing with nobody up front. Like he's got Garrett Jack, G- 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 Grady uh, Jarrett. Yeah. Grady, uh, Grady Jack, I was going to call him G- Grady Jackson, who was a hell of a player. <laughs> he would have just kept player. his weight off. But I mean, you know, other than that, Grady Jarrett, who else do they have in the front? Like oh, at some point, you got to get better up front. And then all the, all the times that they've spent on offensive line in the draft in prior years, their offensive line isn't been very good. I know they re signed Mathis to a contract, but I mean, their, their offense, they lose games. And the reason their quarterback has gotten hit so many times is because, well, you say he doesn't move around very well. Well, he can move and get out of the way. The problem is that everybody is in the way. Like at some point, you got to protect the quarterback, you know, and they got Hennessy's a third. They got Lindstrom's a first. They got McCrary's a first. And they got Mayfield a third, but they're not blocking anybody. I think they could go offensive, defensive line. But to me, defensive line is the one position they've got to fix. They have to really fix that and if they can find a guy here to me I don't know who would the player they would like the most but to draft a receiver I mean I know they need one badly mm-hmm. but they just drafted one last year and his name's Kyle Pitts they call him a tight end but nobody calls him a tight end <laughs> on the games on Sunday they call him a big wide receiver yeah no, no I, I I can't see going pass catcher back-to-back top tens seems like a far <clears throat> seems like a far-fetched uh, situation there for me there let's go let's go wild card let's give them Florida State's Jermaine Johnson on the defensive line. Let's go that. Jermaine Johnson goes at eight, and everybody acts sh- surprised on draft night, saying, oh, my goodness, how did they pick him that high? The Seattle Seahawks at pick nine. John Schneider comes from the school of trade down at all costs and ask questions later. Is that the situation we find ourselves here at nine, or the Seahawks wow us again with another wild card pick? Well, I think the one thing you know about John Schneider is he don't really give a shit about the mocks. He's going to pick who he thinks is the best player, right? And I and my hat's off to him for that. Yeah. Like, I don't think he I really gives it. a shit. I, I don't think he gives a shit about Mel's board, Todd's board, <laughs> uh, NFL Network's board. I don't think he gives a crap. I think he sees the players. He's going to grade them. I'm all for that. And so would he like to move down? I'm sure he probably would. 
you know, he, but he knows he's got to repair his offensive line. He knows he's got to repair his defensive front. You know, they're not the same talent level team that they've been in the past. So, you know, I think this could go in any direction. It could go to linebacker. You know, you lose Bobby Wagner at middle linebacker. Are you sure Cody Barrett, uh, Barton's going to be the guy to come in and replace him? Or are you going to put Brooks over there or make him the will? I, I think this could go in any direction. I, I think you could make it, a, you could make a case for anybody. And I think you could make the strongest case for moving down. I mean, look, he could take the next best offensive lineman, too. Yeah. Like, none of those positions. I think where he's sitting right there at nine, he's waiting for somebody to fall in his lap. And if nobody falls in his lap, then he makes the move. How about we go here, another shocker, Trevor Penning, the the Northern Iowa offensive tackle. I don't think that's a shocker at all. I think you he's think a really good player, and I, I, and I think he's moving up the board only because, not only because, A, because he's a good player and supply and demand. Mm-hmm. supply and demand. If we don't get this guy, where's the next tackle coming from? And he plays with a mean streak, and he can fit right into that Seattle Seahawks culture there. And Penning is seen as almost one of these off-the-board, off-the-grid kind of guys to the draft Knicks and to the uh, the draft media folks. So I could see the Seahawks shocking the world there in terms of the media and taking Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa. Number 10, the New York Jets back on the clock here. At four, we give him Kayvon Thibodeau there, so Salah gets his edge rusher. What do they do here at 10? Well, you know, I mean, look, the Jets can go in any direction, right? They, to me, once again, I think they they can. They're all about team speed on defense, and knowing Douglas, he's going to take a guy who's big school, you know, that that can run, a size, speed player. That's the Baltimore way of doing it. I think whatever one leaves off, I could see them taking Penning, an offensive lineman here as well. You know, I think they could easily take an offensive lineman just to keep improving that offensive line, keep building the. Sh- keep building their team that way. I know they signed mm-hmm. Tomlinson and last year they drafted Vera Tucker. So, you know, I think ultimately could they take a right tackle? Sure. I mean, can you win with George Fan playing right tackle? I mean, maybe they move Becton over. I think offensive lines in play. I mean, they drafted a receiver in the second round last year. They signed a lot of money to Corey Davis. They don't love Denzel Mims. Do I think they could take that? Maybe. But I, I think it could be it could be the corner. Or it really could be, which I don't think they would, based on the way they've invested in corners in Seattle with, with and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But I could see it being a, a some front seven player. I think that's what it would be. See, a front seven player there for the New York Jets. Maybe a receiver. Could I convince you wide receiver? I know what we've said about these guys, but everything that they've done throughout this offseason has been them trying to trade for a big play veteran wide receiver. Do they maybe settle for one at 10 in the draft? Well, I mean, look, I think a lot of that, the receiver board to me is complicated because I don't really know where, you know, Jamison Williams will, is on the board in terms mm. of where is he medically? Like, what, where is he? Does he fit medically? I, I think that's the biggest concern. And if he can clear himself medically, then, you know, he certainly has a potential to be a number one outside receiver. You know, could they take Garrett Wilson, who I think is the best receiver in this draft class? Maybe the value would be too good at that point. You know, I think mm-hmm. when you look at these draft boards, and I, as I wrote about in, in, the, in the column, is there's, you know, Al Davis used to tell Mickey Marvin, go to the board, 1A, 1B, 1C. Well, there's very few players in 1A and probably even fewer in 1B. You know, so where would that player come from? You know, is it going to be the corner market? Would it be Stingley? Would it be McDuffie? Maybe. You know, would it be the linebacker? Is it Dean or is it Devin Lloyd? I think there's the, I think that's what Joe Douglas is looking at. And then you've got to compare it. Now, this to me, with Douglas's pick here, the horizontal board comes in play. Is Wilson mm-hmm. graded a 1A player and you're getting them at 10? You better take them. Yeah, because I think you had him as that 1A, 1B, almost kind of hanging out in between in the draft betting guy that you wrote for Visa in there. 
Williams, I don't know if you caught this over the weekend. His agent went out and put the video out of him working out yesterday, almost trying to put the PR machine out there saying, hey, my guy's ahead of schedule with the rehab. So maybe some teams will catch wind of that and liken to Jamison Williams there as a first wide receiver off the board. But let's go, let's go front seven slash Garrett Wilson there. The Jets are a mystery, yeah. so we'll see what happens at 10. Washington at 11. What do you think? Like, Hamilton's a guy that they've been linked to. Alave, Wilson, you know. It's I like, think it's a receiver. Think I think it's a receiver. It's a receiver. Yeah, okay. I think they, they need to get some weapons. I think they could certainly take Hamilton. I think this could be the place where we'll hear, we didn't think he would make it to us, so we'll talk, we take him. <laughs> I think that could be the case. Yeah, then they get to thump their chest and say we had him number four on our draft board there and he picked but him out of love. I don't get the sense that any of these teams are really debating about, are, are debating about taking a quarterback at this. And that's the thing. Like, we've gone through all of this. And you have not said quarterback whatsoever for any of these teams, some of which have been linked to quarterbacks. They've done homework on these quarterbacks. I know Peter King talked about in his mock draft, he didn't have a quarterback going in the first 19 picks. Pittsburgh at 20 taking Kenny Pickett there. The quarterbacks, you think we, we go through the top 10 picks and they're still on the board? Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I mean, they're not worthy of the pick. I've been saying it yeah. all year, no matter how much they put them in the mock. They're just not worth it. You can't, you can't force something that's not there. You say, well, they have a need. Well, once you pick them, you still have the need because they're not going to be good enough to play. I mean, there's too many concerns. There's too many variables that you can't control. You know, I mean, Pickett's got ability to be a, you know, could he start five? Yeah. Could he be a 17-game starter? I have a hard time seeing that. I have a hard time seeing that. You know, could Malik Willis do it? Guy didn't throw a touchdown pass against a group five, power five team. You know, he left Auburn. There's a whole bunch of debate. You know, why did it, why, you know, Cam Newton left, left Florida, went to Auburn. Like, why did he stay within the Southeast Conference? I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions, but if I was in the mm -hmm. league, I'd be trying to find him out. Vikings. Uh, Matt Corral's uh, the other one. I mean, Matt Corral yeah. is a guy that's got, you know, certainly he's got ability, but can he stay healthy? Who knows? Yeah, the Corral has that small frame there at the quarterback position, and availability is the biggest ability at quarterback because if you're on the bench, you're not really helping out the team there. The Vikings at 12, the Texans at 13. Do you think this is maybe where we see another cornerback go with a Derek Stingley who's been kicked around the league, likes him more than some of the draft media? Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I think you'll start to see it. Look, I think this is going to be a defensive draft. I really do. I think that, you know, this is now we're at the point in the draft where almost all the play, what you pick at 15, you might get at 35. You might get at 40. This, now, the, not to the media you won't, but to those guys in the draft room, there's going to be a lot of value in terms of the meat of this draft. It's a second-round draft, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the key for this draft to be successful for any team is to not pick a guy that is similar to a guy you pick in the third round. That's the key. That's yeah. the hard part. And, that you, and don't say, well, we got to trade down, because I think in this draft it's going to be harder and harder to trade down. And that's what, because I, 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 uh, you just answered my question right there. I was like, how many trades do you think we end up seeing in the first 15 to 20 picks? Because everyone wants to do it, but that tells me that it's a seller's market with not a whole lot of buyers. That's right. I, I think because everybody sees the board as an opportunity to get the same player, why would I give up an asset to get it? As yeah. long as I'm not married to the position, I'm going to get a player similar to what I need. If you get desperate, the people that trade up in this draft will be the lovers. The, the, and I wrote about this two weeks ago, teams that fall in love with a player. Lovers will always trade up regardless of the draft. It's quality. I cannot wait to see how this unfolds just four days away. Let's take another quick break. And on the other side, I got to ask you about a former Sixer in 60. All right, Michael, our Sixers in 60 segment is going to be about a former oh. 76er. One Ben Simmons was oh, projected man. to play in game four 
after the six, or rather after the Brooklyn Nets lose game three, now Simmons not able to play in tonight in game four for the Brooklyn Nets. But I wanted to kind of spin it to you back to the draft because Ben Simmons, he's getting challenged in terms of his competitive fire if he actually loves the game. And when you're an evaluator, how much do you factor that in, that mental makeup, that competitiveness? Does that factor into your evaluation versus just looking at the on-field or on-court talent? Well, I think even on the court, you can see he lacks competitiveness. I mean, LSU didn't go to the didn't go to this this the, the tournament. tournament Sixty four yeah. teams, you know, your hometown team with Fultz, they didn't go to yeah, the they tournament. They didn't go. <laughs> they didn't go. I mean, like meanwhile, Davidson, little old Davidson, with with the Curry, who was not good enough to play in the league, you know, not even got an ACC offer. You know, he took him to the tournament, made him the lead eight. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. You got to make your team better. To me, the, when you start to see ex players like Reggie Miller and Kendrick Perkins start to rip the player, you know how severe it is. Because those guys usually have that, you know, when you go, no doctor ever insults another doctor, right? Yeah. There's kind of a code of conduct among doctors. But come on, this is a joke. I mean, this guy doesn't want to play, he wants all the perks without playing. <laughs> and he doesn't want to go in a game in game four when it could be a, a game that really matters and have the pressure on him. I mean, I, I think this guy, to me, the worst place for him to get traded to was Brooklyn where the expectations are so high. He'd have been better off going to Sacramento. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind in Sacramento. But it's just like, yeah. it's interesting because Simmons is talented. Like, we can see it at LSU. Okay, he but can he do, never he works can do in everything, game, but he doesn't work. But he didn't work. But he, the fact that he's never developed a jump shot in how many years? It's, it's mind-blowing. He never works at it. It's mind, it's mind blowing. Like he's, it's never been important enough for him to get better at his game. So you know, to me, it's just a comedy. And let me say this before we go: This is Monday. Mm -hmm. If the 76ers don't win tonight, if they don't win tonight, they'll be the first team to go up 3-0 that lose a series. Uh oh, mark yeah. it down. That thumb injury for Joel Embiid, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Even no, if they it has get nothing past to do with series. his thumb, he should play through the thumb. He can play through the thumb. It ain't the first guy. Yeah, I mean, they play like crap the other night. They didn't even play with any effort. You mark my words. That would be that would certainly be something. The heads would definitely roll there in Philadelphia if that ended up coming to fruition. Uh, we got to go, but it's it, the human element is. I think the last point we should make is that it factors into all these things, like what they do, the 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 workouts and the tape and all that stuff. But the human element always plays a factor in how much they're able to fulfill their potential. As the Sixers and Brooklyn Nets have now found out about one Ben Simmons. Michael, I cannot wait for you to get out to Las Vegas. We're doing another show later on this week to preview the draft. It's gonna be a lot of fun, man. All right, buddy. I will see you. Uh, I'll be out there Tuesday, my man. We will get it together. We'll get it going. Can't wait to do it. Subscribe, rate, and review as always. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, and we'll talk to you guys soon.